नमस्ते अस्तु भगवन्श्वराय महादेवायत्रिपुरांतकायत्रिकायाद्रिकालाद्रा नीलकंठा मृत्युंजयाय सर्वेराय सदाशिवाय श्रीमन्मेवाय नम ओं सहनावतु सहनौ um when we're trying to be with yourself confidently yes. right we need to have the confidence yes to say i want to stay with myself and watch my mind right mm-hmm. and so but then you know different feelings come up right and loneliness may be one of them and sometimes you say hey i don't want to share this good feeling with somebody yes right that kind of aspect also comes along and there is nothing wrong with wanting to right. share it yeah nothing wrong but if we criminalize that feeling then it yeah. becomes another problem you okay. see it it compounds the problem yeah. yeah before it was just one thing and then after that it's now double the thing because now i'm saying to myself i shouldn't want to share anything with anybody so i have to be a, a, like a sadhu in the himalayas when you tell yourself that then there is another problem that is compounded right so it's nice to observe and it's nice to say that oh i wish to share this or i wish to go do this or have this or whatever it is first and then to be in a place of an observer and watch that thought and say this is interesting that i'm having this thought so now what are the options option a i can do it option b i need not do it option c sometimes there is three or four options so you go through all the options and then you pick what you think is the most uh, expedient for you in that moment or expedient to you as a sadhaka as a seeker of knowledge that is what is needing to be done so uh sometimes the options are not very clear that means just like the haze we saw outside there is a haze in the mind yeah one is too close to those emotions one is too close to the ob- the the trigger that which triggered the emotions the sense objects or whatever they are and so one is not able to be objective so leave that thought alone don't act on it and then go do some other things and then later on revisit that when you have more clarity meanwhile pray for clarity that's what it is i'm not saying to give up i'm not saying to find a shortcut yeah i'm saying stay with that feeling stay yeah okay. stay with that feeling until you get clarity right, right. of what option you need to follow yeah because even now, what's his name mm. the one who uh, married menaka Vishwamitra was a sage and he approached this whole uh, 
path to self-knowledge in a very interesting way. He went to the ashram of another sage. He was actually a king. Vishwamitra was a yeah. kshatriya. He was a king. And he went to the ashram of another sage. And it was well past lunchtime. And, uh, and then uh, 200 people. He landed with his whole army unannounced. No SMS, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> he just uh, unannounced. And strangely, there was hot food for everybody magically appeared. And the sage greeted everybody and gave them, fed them all. And then also gave them a gift, like a parting gift to take home. And then the king was astonished. He said, even I can't do this. This kind of a royal feast. Where did you, you are just a poor sadhu in an ashram. How did you manage this? He says, oh, I have a cow that is called a wish-fulfilling cow. Her name is Kamadhenu. And then Vishwamitra says, can I exchange my gift for Kamadhenu, please? <laughs> you keep what you gave me, the little knick-knack, and give me Kamadhenu. So brazen, right? And then he says, I, I want I want Kamadhenu. And Vishwamitra says, I can give her to you, but to command her and to make her cook for 250 people without any notice and to fulfill the wishes, the person who commands her must have self-knowledge and therefore must be desireless. Mm. Only a person who, who has a say over his or her desires can command her. For you, it will be like a useless cow. You know, it will be useless. So then he said, how do, you, how do you do this? Well, you have to work on yourself. You, this is not something that happens overnight. You have to study. You have to do tapas, not Spanish snacks. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you, have to have, you, have a, you have to have a disciplined you know, life. Otherwise, you can't do this. So he says, I'll be more disciplined than you. <laughs> I am better than you. You are a wishy-washy brahmana. What do you know? You are just like, if I say foo, you will go. You know, you, you, you look like that. I am a kshatriya. I'm a fighter. I'm a warrior. I can conquer. I have conquered the whole world. I, can, I can't conquer this. I'll conquer this. And Vasishtha was not impressed. The other sage, he said, okay, go. Do whatever you want. You know, he just shrugged his shoulders, sent him off. And he went to the mountains, he went there and meditated and everything, every thought he suppressed, every desire he suppressed. Then the story goes that uh, the, you know, Indra in heaven, the king of heaven, wanted to test him. And, and then said, how will I test him? And so the heavenly nymph Menaka volunteered her services. She said, I'm getting a little bored in heaven. Let me go find out what life is like on earth. And if you say he's trying to be such a good sage, he must be so tired. Let me just, you know, <laughs> offer him my services. So then what happened? He just, uh, he just was meditating and he heard the sound chan, chan, chan bells, all kinds of jingle, jangle, bangles and anklets and everything. 
Naturally, he opened his eyes and they alighted on the most beautiful creature he had ever seen. And then he said, no, I'm going to become a Rajarshi. Rajarshi means a Raja who is a Rishi. I'm going to be. And so you can't distract me. And she says, okay. But then he was already distracted. So then he said, he, he wrote in some uh, text that is attributed to him. I'm not sure it was really him or whether it was. And he wrote, sometimes the karma is too strong. He wrote two things which are actually very true for a student of Vedanta. Sometimes the karma is too strong and must be attended to. The prarabdha must be attended to. And then we come back to the path wiser, stronger, more ready. So it's not a distraction. It is, it is, it is on the way. He wrote that one thing. And the second thing he wrote, uh, what was it? Yeah, so sometimes the karma is too strong. And the second thing he wrote is that, uh, that I have learned, he said, that in, tr uh, in trying to eliminate desire, all desires, I'm stuck with the desire to eliminate desires. Yeah. True, both of them are true. So those are very good caveats for the one on this path. When you go with a with a with a mad vengeance, like uh, you know, then any slight deviation or so-called deviation appears to you know it, it appears punitive, and it appears difficult, and it appears like a distraction, and it appears to be very uh, difficult to overcome. And so, therefore, it has to be guarded. It has to be, uh, because see, everything is one. And desire is Bhagavan. Desire is not other than Bhagavan. This is where the problem is. So, the desire is Bhagavan. The desirer is also Bhagavan. So, in, uh, in this scope, certain desires we don't look at because they are not conducive to, to progress made on the path. So for those desires, we have to, you know, there is there are certain ways in which we can slowly let them go. Certain things drop very quickly because they're not uh, catching so much. Certain things take time to drop, drop off. And we respect the process uh, because one thing we know in Vedanta is that we cannot be product-oriented because the product is not away from you. Product is already in hand. So you're wanting to have something, happiness, etc., which you already have. So if you want something that you already have, how are you going to get? It's, it's like an as-though game. So it is process-oriented. It's the process of coming to know that you are what you seek. It's not product-oriented. But then in every other thing in the world, uh, every other pursuit in the world is product oriented. So we are accustomed to seeking objects, products. There's something you can have, show and tell. So this is exactly the problem. So we have to train the thinking, the intellect, the buddhi to be process oriented rather than product oriented. That's what I would say. To go through the process quickly and and the surface, because as you said, Prarabdha is going to 
force you to go that direction. Sometimes, anyway. yeah. So just go through it quickly yeah. and move on. Yeah, move on. Not and don't come back. Yeah, don't yeah. get stuck in that. Come exactly. back to the, this path. Then only you can transcend. Yeah. Otherwise you cannot transcend. Yeah, otherwise you cannot transcend. Yeah. 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 And we yeah. see this, you know, sometimes people just make a lot of plans and they say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this, and I have to have this. And it never goes as planned. Mm -hmm. yeah, Bhagavan laughs. Some people make checklist items. And, yes. And unfortunately, they, they consider that is the more important thing. Yes. And then they check out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Swamiji, you're talking about like so desire and then Bhagavan. So, the, I, I just want clarification on this because it seems a very subtle difference to me. So, your desire for Bhagavan, the desire to be. Bhagavan, you, but you already are Bhagavan. Yes. So the thing is, it's it's actually, I don't know what the word is, but you don't want to look at it as a desire. You just want to, because desire itself, you don't have to desire Bhagavan. It's already, you already are Bhagavan. Yeah, but you have to know that. So the desire to know that, see, there are certain desires that are called Shubha Icha, auspicious desires. And certain other desires that take you away from yourself are called inauspicious desires. Because they bring you to a place of disempowerment, disenchantment. They bring you to a place of uh, difficulty. They bring you to a place of strife, conflict, and dysfunctionality. Those that take you away from yourself are called, in these manners, are called inauspicious desires. So the auspicious desires, uh, how to become a devotee, how to be more devoted, how to be less reactive. I want to be more compassionate. All these are auspicious desires, even though you already are all those things, but you don't know you are. So then the desire morphs into the desire to know. And that is seen as the most auspicious desire, the desire to know, following which you will shift your life to make more opportunities to gain this knowledge. And the pandemic has forced us because Zoom means what? Nobody knew what Zoom was. You know? mm. But now everybody knows what Zoom is because people started to study elsewhere. People started had more creative platforms for this study. Now, in fact, people think, why, why should I go there? It's on Zoom. So <laughs> let me just be in my own house and study. Although people say, oh, there is nothing like in-person it should be in-person. Some people are always into in-person. But that's just a small example. So uh, one makes, the, makes time for what you want. And when you understand that this is really what you want, you'll make the time for it. That's what it is. Clearing the space. Sometimes it doesn't need, even need to be cleared because things just drop off and it's cleared. Sometimes in the beginning, you have to put up a little of effort and then it happens slowly. But the effort is only in listening. Transformation happens because this is not a knowledge where you have to do anything. All you have to do is actually get out of the way. And that's sometimes hard to do.
Yeah, he's been walking around with a piece of paper. That's what is full of. Yeah, ever since he greeted me, even outside the house, he had this piece of paper. Yeah. Oh, that was another paper? Okay. I thought it was the same paper. Yeah, let's uh, go through the paper. Yes. No, basically, I think it's relevant. I think it's relevant because we are all Vedanta students, right? Yeah. yeah. Senior students. So the whole idea of this waking world and to see that it should not be as real as it appears to be. So we you know, we need to kind of identify the, the salient places where we need to be alert. For example, Nama Rupa, as soon as you have a given the name, it becomes real, right? Uh, and Vastu also, if you give you hold on to some form, it becomes real. If I tell myself, that the waking world is unreal, all right? Especially if I tell myself that as I'm driving somewhere. <laughs> From point A to point B, all right? I may crash into another, an unreal object. <laughs> and then an unreal policeman will come on the scene. <laughs> and then take me to, you know, an unreal traffic school. <laughs> At the very least, okay? Provided there are no casualties. And then he may unreally confiscate my unreal license. All right. So, um, so the, I would put it this way. I would not look at the world as the waking world or the sleeping world or the dreaming world as unreal. I would say it's all Brahman. I'll say it's all Brahman. Okay, number one. Number two, and I will say, the second thing about it is that so-called what we are calling right now in, in our inner circle as the unreal world is actually a dependent world. Yeah. Because it's a series of cause and effects. Like thought is the cause. Clay, uh, the pot is the effect. Clay is the cause. Then clay itself is not the cause of everything. Clay becomes the effect. Earth is the cause. Earth is the effect. Then molecules are the cause. Five elements are the cause. Then the source of the five elements, you know, then you end up in Brahman anyway. So, which is the cause of all causes. So now, uh, therefore, it is a dependent reality because it is shifting all the time. Like you said, shifting, changing. It's a dependent reality because without leaning on something, it cannot stand up on its own. Whereas you are the only thing in the whole universe that can say, I can define myself as existent without taking recourse to anybody else. And if I ask the well-worn question, are you here? What will you say? Yes. yes. You don't say, I'll get back to you after talking to my significant other. <laughs> you don't say that. That's the only question you don't have to say that. You don't have to say that. So, therefore, this waking, sleeping, dreaming world enjoys two characteristics. First is it is a dependent reality and is dependent ultimately on what? You. Tasmadvat, etasmad, atmanaha akasha sambhuta.
So the first thing is to understand it's dependent. And the second thing is that it's between real and unreal. You cannot dismiss the pothole on the Indian road as unreal because then it sends you to a real chiropractor. Okay? Yeah. And then, but at the same time, it cannot be affirmed as real because it is shifting, changing, and it's, uh, uh, it's dependent. So it's not real. It's neither real nor unreal. It's bang in the middle. Sad asadhyam anirvachaniya. And so then that makes it more interesting. How do I deal with this world, starting with this body-mind-sense complex, which is neither real nor unreal? And then if I tell myself, I'm going to my job this morning, which is neither real nor unreal, <laughs> then I won't feel like getting out of bed. Well, naturally, it will be confusing. As you said, it is all conceptual. It is not uh, you know, at the level of uh, action. So what to do at the level of action, because action itself falls under the category of neither real nor unreal. Action is not real, action is not unreal. It's again, mithya. Mithya means these two things. That it is it doesn't have a leg to stand on. It's a dependent reality and it cannot be categorized as real or unreal. It's right in the middle of that. So what to do with that? The only way to deal with it is, is in two steps. It's a two-step process. First, and you cannot bypass the first step. First, you see it as a manifestation of Ishvara. You Ishwarize the waking world. You Ishwarize the, the sleeping world is already Ishwarized because you are one with Ishvara. You Ishwarize the dream world. And then you just say that this is Ishvara's world and I'm living in it. And there, there everything is a manifestation of Ishvara. Then when you overcome that, then you say, this Ishvara is me alone. I am the one who is non-separate from this Ishvara. And then you uh, see the whole waking world as an extension of yourself. You do not deny its existence, but you say, it is nothing other than me. First step, it is nothing other than Brahman, Bhagavan, Ishvara. Second step, it is nothing other than myself. That's how it's overcome. Anirvachya. Anirvachya, not to be said or not to be... No, no, no. It means cannot be categorically said to be uh, existent or non-existent. The word itself, how do you... The, the Sanskrit word, Anirvachya means... Vachya is to... Nirvachya, to be said certainly. Anirvachya, that which cannot be said... Anything about it cannot be said with certainty. Oh, yeah. Well, you are staying with that one. Okay. It's what I think the word is... Is uh, so the transaction reality versus yes. absolute reality? I understand. Yes, and that's the way I treat it. Yes, the, you that are that absolute. Everything else is transactional. Exactly. Yeah. So part one and everything is is a transactional thing. Accepting the part one is there. Accepting things around. Yeah. Is good enough. Basically. Yes, accepting uh, is, that, is that that's what it is. Okay, so the words Ishwara is in the world. Yeah. Is accepting it. Is that yes, what? that's what it is. Okay, good. That's what it means. Okay. That is radical so acceptance. Is very yes, good. that is Ishvara. Because that is such a fundamental point. And you can't, you can't, you know, see the Mahavakya is Jiveshvara Yoho Aikyam Vakyam Mahavakya. 
is the definition of Mahavakya is that sentence in the Veda which equates you to Ishvara. It doesn't say Brahman. It says yeah. Ishvara specific. It's a, it's a understanding and accepting that there are certain things beyond your control and that which you look upon as the cause of the universe is nothing other than you. Second step. First step is to accept that. Accepting the Yes, accepting the, the inevitable. The power. Yeah, yes. accepting the inevitable. Yeah. We are not talking of, uh, you know, big rituals or we are not right. talking of yeah. Abhisheka and we are not talking of uh, Agarbatti and Naivedya. Yeah. We are talking about a cultivating a radical acceptance of what is yeah. in the transactional reality yeah. and what is is Ishvara. What is it? What is it? Essentially surrendering, right? Because acceptance is surrender. Acceptance is surrender. Yeah. Because people get confused by the word surrender because they they feel like, oh, I have to do something. And then, you know, I don't want to do that. And, you know, it feels like a a weak resistance. Yeah, resistance, weakness. So many things are there. But the now, coming back to the Nama Rupa, it's very interesting. So if you look at a tree, Start looking at the road, looking at it, and start naming them. Then there's always a comparison. That road from there. This one is better. That's path. good. This is bad. Yeah, exactly. So that also very interesting understanding. Yeah. That that understanding when you give it a name to any form, it becomes you know too much of a reality. Absolutely. Like if you look at the colonizers, when the British came to India, what did they do? They changed the name of all the cities. Yeah. Everything they changed. Yeah. And uh, so then after they left, even now India is, you know, back to changing all the names of the streets. Yeah. You know, Cunningham's Road. Shri Vishveshwaraya Road. <laughs> and then all the colonized children living in that road, they're ashamed. Oh, I I just feel like I have gone down. <laughs> you know, this is because they don't accept themselves. And so this is the, so the naming is, is a form of control and is a form of uh, owning. Uh, the way to do it is to, is to see that the naming uh, when you say tree, for example, and the image that occurs in the mind and the object that it correlates, you see outside. When you say tree, when you say sun, when you say sky, see them all as names of Bhagavan, as a unending Sahasranama, thousand names, uh, hundred thousand names. So these are all many names and many forms of you. And then with time, that you becomes I. That you is none other than I pending understanding. It's all you. See, the Sri Rudram is a very beautiful illustration. The first part is called Namaha, meaning this is not, this is not me, not me, not me, not me, not me. It's all you. And then the second part says it's all me. The second part says it's all me. It's nothing other than me. So that's very interesting. I find that. I had a question about free will. Uh, yes, that's like the chicken and egg <laughs> story. Will or our will or how should we... Well, you see, 
really speaking, free will means what, you know, you decided to come here, correct? You need not have, you could have sat at home or you could have done something else, but you made the decision to come here, correct? So you can say that I am an agent endowed with free will, and then I have, you know, uh, taken certain uh, decisions. I made certain decisions in order to be here because I wanted to be here. And let's say you went somewhere else, if we shift the example a little bit, and then you found that whatever you thought was taking place was not taking place, then okay, this action was a little disappointing, you know? So there is karma, something happened and you did not have a good time, you can say, okay, there was some kind of a karmic element there. And, uh, but then what is karma? Karma is your own free will exercised, the effects of your own free will exercised in other lives. That is given to you to unfold, not according to your own will, but according to however it should. So that is karma. So karma is nothing but your own free will from other lives. How can it be, you know, in, in some other life, you decided, let's say, a person decided to hit somebody, all right? And then in the next life, they, 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 they lost their balance, fell in a ditch and had a fall because of that. So now the person can say, oh, I had a fall, I broke my leg or hand, and then um, it is karma, oh no. But then that was really not karma because it's the consequence of the action that had been freely done in a different life. So you can take it as all free will or you can take it as no free will. <laughs> it's the same. Because why did the person have to fall at that time in that manner? They don't have control. You cannot take a rain check on the, the consequences of past actions and say, oh, what is coming right now? Oh, car accident? No, no, no. Give it to me when I'm 92. Okay. Doesn't matter if I go by then. I don't want car accident now. Postpone it by the next 40 years. You can't do that. You can't take a rain check. So that means what? There is, there is a power that is in charge of dispensing or uh, uh, the, the timing and everything of that karma. Dispensing the results of your action. The karma phala data is there. Bhagavan is there. Ishvara is there as the karma phala data. And so, so therefore, that is not, uh, that, is, uh, that is always a uh, very interesting question. It's all karma, you can say. It's all Ishvara. In other words, karma is a manifestation of Ishvara. Or you can say it's all free will. Hari Hari